Well, hey there, my name's Eric Gray, and I'm the Young Adult and Family Minister here at the Regency Church of Christ. I just want to take a minute and say thank you for checking out this message. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. And to find out more information about Regency or to listen to other messages from this series, we'd love for you to check out our website at regencycc.org. And we're praying that this message will help you grow closer to Jesus. We're so glad that you're here this morning, that that you've chosen to uh, gather with us for worship today. So what were some of the things that used to amaze you when you were younger? Do you remember some of those? For for me, it was how Captain Crunch could become so soggy so fast. Do you remember you would have to eat it in about a minute and a half because after that it was just mush? Or another one that used to amaze me was the gum juicy fruit. How can it lose all of its flavor after seven seconds and then be just chewing on rubber for however long you were going to endure that gum? Some of those things would amaze me. Maybe for you it wasn't such strange things. Maybe it was staring at the stars out of your window at night, or maybe it was enjoying a beautiful sunset. But here's what I've noticed, and I don't know if you have as well, that as we've gotten a little bit older... We don't always find as much amazement in the regular part of our life. Maybe it's because life gets a little more chaotic as we get older. Maybe it's because we definitely get busier. Uh, I don't know about you. Sometimes I used to think that the days flew by. Now the weeks fly by, right? Or maybe it's because life has just caused you to become distracted and you're focusing on some different stuff. And so it's not as easy to find that sense of wonder around us because we aren't always looking for. And maybe life has been kind of tough, and so you become a little bit more cynical or a little bit more skeptical about life and about God. And so this month, we want to spend the next four weeks renewing and restoring our sense of wonder and the amazement in which God works in and through our lives. And so we're going to be very purposeful and very intentional about the different things that we talk about and the different ways that we encourage each of us just to sit back and watch and and just really remind ourselves of what is God doing today? How is He working in our world? Well, let me define for you that word wonder so that you'll know what we're talking about. The word wonder, the noun version, means a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. And so we want, we want to remind ourselves of all the different ways that God works in our life that we never saw coming. Well, our theme verse for this series comes from a line from the book of Job. I don't know how much you know about the life of Job, but Job was a man who suffered incredible loss. He has lost his family. He has lost his home. He has even lost his health. And we're not going to dive into too much of the book of Job this morning. Andrew tonight at 6 o'clock is actually going to do a deeper dive into that book. I just want to use the verse this morning to set up our thoughts for where we're headed. And as Job is wondering, why is all of this happening to me? One of his friends, a man by the name of Elihu, tells him, he says, Job, listen to this. Stop and consider God's wonders. In the craziness of life, in the stress of life, In the loss of life, stop and consider God's wonders. 
So that's what we want to do this month. We want to remind ourselves on a regular basis so that we get to the point that we just simply say, God, I cannot believe that you are doing this. Are you kidding me? I don't deserve this kind of graciousness, Lord. I don't deserve you to work in my life. And it just fills you with this sense of amazement that as we go throughout this month, we just want to renew this sense of amazement that we have in God because we're constantly looking for him. And we're going to use scripture to do that. In our worship gatherings, we're going to use the songs that we sing. We're going to use our time of communion to renew that sense of wonder. But we can see God's wonders all around us. You can see God's wonders in creation. You just have to walk outside and look. You can see God's wonders in your barista at Starbucks. You can see God's wonders in the children that are running around this place uh, during sometimes and after the worship gathering, right? You can see God's wonders in many of our elderly who, in spite of all the physical pain and the toll that it takes on them to be here, are still here and are showing up as they can. You can see God's wonders sitting in the woods on an early morning waiting for that deer to walk out. I've never personally done that. requires cold in early mornings, and I don't care for either. But you can see God's wonders in that moment. All around us, if we will just simply stop and look then we can see God's wonders everywhere. Well, this morning I want to use a text from Psalm 139 to lead our thoughts this morning, something that David says that's just so phenomenal. Here's what David writes. Psalm 139, verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too, did you catch that next word? Wonderful, too lofty for me to attain. Now, does this passage just blow your mind? Does it just drop you to your knees as it does to David and just says, God, this is too wonderful. This is too amazing. I can't even wrap my mind around it that, God, you would know me that way. Now, maybe it doesn't because we don't fully understand what David is talking about. So I want to spend just a couple minutes and let's talk about verse one. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. This word to know is used 942 times in the Old Testament. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And it's usually translated from a Hebrew word called yada. You know, yada, yada, yada. You know what I'm talking about? It's a really interesting word in the original language because usually it's translated to know or knowledge. But there's a couple of other times that it has some really interesting translations that I think will help us build a good definition for what this word means. So in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, do you remember God has given Adam and Eve this one command? He says, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but from this one tree you must not eat of it. And and so they go however long without eating from that tree until the one day they decide that they're going to uh, break God's rule, break his law, and they eat of the fruit themselves. And before that, they walked in the garden, and it says at the end of chapter 2 that they were naked and unashamed. Until that moment, they ate of the fruit. It says in verse 7 that their eyes were opened, and they knew, they yadded, they knew that they were naked. And so they then go and find fig leaves to cover themselves. In that moment, do you think Adam goes, I now perceive a thought 
that something is not right. No, he had an experience. He had a moment of realization that something is not right. I am now exposed and I don't need to be. And so they begin to try and clothe themselves. And then just a couple of verses later, it says that they hear God walking through the garden and they go and they hide from God. Because that's what we've done ever since the dawn of creation is that we have tried to hide from the one who created us. Well, there's another interesting translation of this word. It's found in the very next chapter, in chapter 4 and verse 1, where it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore him a son named Cain. Now, let's just suffice it to say, because we got children in the room, that he knew more than just her favorite restaurant or what dessert was her favorite, okay? Other translations go into a little bit more detail that I will not because I want to keep my job. We'll just suffice it to say that yada, 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 you know, what happened, and then the rest was history and a child was born. That's what the word meant. It meant to have knowledge. It also meant to be involved in an intimate relationship. So here's kind of our working definition for the term yada, or when David says, God, you know me. Here's what he means. He means to know intimately, especially especially through personal experience. It, need, it means that God knows us deeply. He knows us intimately. He knows everything about us, even sometimes things that we don't know about ourselves. It means that there is nothing that we can hide from him. Do you have a person in your life that knows you really well? Maybe a parent, best friend, maybe a spouse, somebody that that knows what upsets you. They know what makes you happy. They know what buttons to push to aggravate you. Uh, They can sometimes finish your sentences. They kind of know the way that you think and the way that you see life. Maybe they know some of the skeletons in your closet. You've trusted them with some of your insecurities, some of the mistakes you've made in your past. They know some of your dreams and they know some of your goals. Those are awesome relationships, aren't they? We try and hold on to those kind of relationships because, well, we just don't experience that many relationships like that in our life. Somebody who knows us so well. But does that person know everything about you? Well, it's hard to say that they know everything about you for a couple of reasons. There may be some things that you haven't shared with them. Some of those deepest, darkest secrets. Some of those insecurities that you have that you've never shared with another soul on this planet. Maybe even some things that are in your past that you haven't shared that either. There may be some things that you've trusted them with, but not everything, right? You haven't laid everything out there, and it's impossible for them to know everything about you Because there are things that you don't even know about you. That's why David says this is so wonderful because the main truth from this passage is we are fully, deeply, and intimately known and loved by God. Fully, deeply, and intimately known and loved by God. Now this can be a very scary thought because that means there is nothing that we can hide from God. You remember, we've been trying to hide things from God since the dawn of creation. Adam and Eve tried to do it. You and I try to do it. You ever tried to play hide and seek with God? It's like playing hide and seek with a little toddler. You ever done that? It's so fun. It's so hilarious that you'll tell them, okay, go and hide. And they'll just go lay down right in the middle of the floor. And they'll cover their eyes and they'll giggle the whole time. And what do we do? 
do as adults. We walk around going, oh, I can't find you. Where did you go? Right. And you're walking circles all around them. And in your mind, you're thinking, come on, kid, you got to up your hide and seek game. That's pretty pathetic. I'm just kidding. You don't do that. You're playing with them, right? They think they have hidden from you because their thought concept is if I can't see you, you can't see me. And they giggle and laugh and you tell them, great job. You're such a good Hider. And that's exactly what we do with God sometimes. As long as nobody can see me, nobody will ever know. And it's a scary thought because the problem with being fully and deeply and intimately known and loved by God is that God knows everything. He sees everything. The Hebrew writer in chapter 4 and verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So sometimes that can be kind of an unsettling thought. But I want to shift your mind and get you to think about how being fully, deeply, and intimately known and loved by God can actually be a comforting thought. It shouldn't just scare us. It should actually bring us comfort. And here's why. Because God wants to know us that well. It tells us that we are valuable to him. He's taking time to understand us and to know us that well, not just to be acquainted with us, not just to have some common knowledge about us, but to intimately know us, to know us deeply says that we are valuable to him. And that should be comforting. So going back to the text of Psalm 139, there's two insights that I want us to pull out that helps us understand how we are fully, deeply, and intimately known and loved by God. Let's go back. I want to read verses 2 through 4 to you one more time. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways before a word is on my tongue. Lord, you know it completely. Here's what's so powerful about God. God knows you better than you know you. God knows you better than you know you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. He knows your intentions. He knows your words. Did you catch what David said before? A word is on my tongue, O Lord. You know it completely. You know when I sit and when I rise. He knows what we're about to do. He knows our actions. I I love this phrase. It says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He pays attention to the things that we think about because we're valuable to him. Verse three, you discern my going out and my lying down. That, That means that he is looking at our decisions from every direction. Now, if you've parented a teenager, sorry, teenagers, you've done this before, right? Sometimes your child has made a decision and you go, what in the world were they thinking? I can't imagine what would lead them to making this decision. And what do you do in that moment? You have to reinsert yourself as a teenager and look at this decision from all aspects to try and gain a better understanding. You are looking at their decision from every possible angle. angle. And then sometimes you still go, I don't know, why did they do that, right? But you know why they did that? Because you probably did something like that when you were a teenager too. And that's why we call them teenagers. They're hard to understand sometimes, right? The, the point is, is that God's looking at our decisions from every direction, every single angle. He perceives, he discerns are going out. And then that last phrase in verse three, you are familiar with all of my ways. It means that he is familiar. He is intimately acquainted with our life's journey. He knows where we have been. He knows all of the things that have happened in our life to lead us to this moment. And he knows where we are going. 
He is so intimately acquainted with our life's journey because he knows us better than we know ourselves. Now, shouldn't he know us that well? Shouldn't the creator of the iPhone know the iPhone better than anybody else? Shouldn't the person that programmed and designed that phone know it better than any of us that are ever going to use it? Uh, shouldn't the Supreme Court know the laws better than anyone else because it's their job to interpret them? Uh, shouldn't a football coach who designed and wrote his own playbook know the plays better than all of his players, right? Shouldn't he be able to tell every person where to go and what their assignment is? So it really shouldn't surprise us that God knows us so well. And it shouldn't surprise us that he knows us better than we know ourselves because he is the one who has created us. But here's where this is so fascinating to me. He's not just seeking to know a little bit about us. He is seeking to completely understand us, to intimately know us better than anyone else. Because being completely, fully, and deeply known by God should comfort us because he knows you better than, new, than you know you. But here's the second truth from this text I think we can take away is that God can protect you from you. Look at verse 5. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. That phrase, you hem me in, is actually a military term. It means to besiege. It means to outflank. If, if an army is going to overtake another army, they're going to surround them on all sides. They're going to cause them to be surrounded and fully settled in. God has outflanked us. He has totally surrounded us. What does that mean? It means that he's trying to protect us. Well, who is he protecting us from? Well, it could be a number of things, but he's actually going to try to protect us from our greatest enemy. And do you know who one of your greatest enemies is? You. You can be your own worst enemy. Don't believe me? Let's do a little checklist here. Who has lied to you more than anyone else? Answer? you? Who has made decisions in your life that has caused destruction and damage to your future? You have. Who worries about things that will never happen? You do. Who says things that they shouldn't and have to move, remove the foot from their mouth? You do. You see, we can be our own worst enemy, and it should actually be a comforting thought that here is God who is totally surrounding us, and He's actually protecting me from me. That it says that He is going to lay His hand upon me. What is He doing? Sometimes He's saying, don't do that. <laughs> That's a bad decision, Eric. Don't say that. You're going to regret that. Sometimes He's putting His hand on me to guide me in a particular direction because He knows what is best. Remember, He knows you better than you know you, and He will protect you from you because you can be your own worst enemy. Why? Because we are fully, intimately, and deeply known by God. That is such a comforting thought. Here is how Paul would say it in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every heaven, uh, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with the power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses 
knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you, do you catch what Paul's praying for? He's praying that we would understand the full, deep, and intimate love of God. He says, I'm praying that you can just have the power and the ability through the Spirit of God to just wrap your mind around it, which is impossible to fully wrap our minds around the love of God. But Paul prays that we could just wrap our mind a little bit more, just grasp it a little bit more, that the more we seek to understand God's love and the way that he knows us, it should throw us on our knees and say, God, I can't believe you would want to know me this way. I can't believe you would want to know me better than I know me or that you would want to protect me from me. Why would you want to have a relationship with me. I don't deserve this. You're right, I don't. And that's why God is so good. And that's why we should constantly live in a sense of wonder and amazement. That when life gets distracting and life gets chaotic and we start dealing with suffering and loss and busyness and the chaos of life, that it we need these moments that just recenter us. And we just say, God, you are so good. You know me so well. God's desire to know you and to love you is one of the most profound thoughts that will ever cross your mind. So there's a theologian in the 20th century named Karl Barth, a Swiss theologian who uh, had a phenomenal mind. And in 1962, at the Rockefeller Chapel on the campus of the University of Chicago, he is finishing up one of his lectures and he has this question and answer period. And one of the Participants in the audience ask him a question to the effect of, could you summarize your whole life's work studying about God in just one sentence? Man, what a question. Summarize everything you have learned about God in one sentence. And he utters something to the effect of this. Yes, I can. In the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You catch that? Jesus loves me, this I know. Why should you know that Jesus loves you? Because He fully, deeply, and intimately knows and loves you. That's why He was willing to go to the cross. That's why God allowed Him to go, to give His life, because that's how valuable we are to Him. It's how much we're worth to Him. It's how much He longs to be in close relationship with us. Not because we're so awesome and so lovable, but because He's he's so good and gracious and merciful. Jesus loves me, this I know. We want you to know that love today. We want you to experience the love of God in the way that God originally designed it to be. In a way that totally changes your life. Because God is good, and He's so gracious and loving towards us, and He knows us so well. And and I have no doubt in my mind that one of the reasons you are here today is so that you can experience His love in a way maybe you never have before. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and we want to give you an opportunity to respond to that love, to come to know the God who knows you better than you know you, and to give your life to Him through baptism, repenting of your sins and allowing Him to wash those sins away. Or maybe life has gotten too chaotic. You've gotten way too distracted. Mind's gotten on other places. God's taken a back seat and you're ready to rededicate your life to Him. That You don't want to go another day ignoring 
his goodness, ignoring the ways that he's working in your life, and you want to respond publicly to receive the prayers of this family and to receive strength here today, we'd love to pray with you and to encourage you. If we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing this song?